Hello, this is William. And hello, this is Jake, and it's time to tune into the world. So we haven't done a podcast in a little while because we wanted to let the first few days of Donald Trump's presidency uh, play out and just sort of see what happens, what does he do, uh, you know, in his first few days of office. And boy, has it been eventful. He, um, on his first couple of days, has frozen uh, federal wage structures and payments and pay rises. Uh, He's canceled orders on fighter jets. He's signed executive orders, um, you know, providing the framework for building his wall and, and countless other things. And so, William, why don't you uh, just start us off here? Right. Well, I think we should start off with the obvious. Trump is working with sort of a, you know, a semi-cabinet. He's got the Secretary of State, he's got Homeland, uh, he has um, Defense. And the other positions are looking sort of, they haven't really been officially you know, uh, approved which is a bit distressing. And I think that's one thing to note. And I think that Trump is going to have to, I'm afraid, he's going to have to wait until a lot of his cabinet appointees come in and not only come in to office, but also get settled before he can really start to push through his agenda. Now, I know, Jake, you've just mentioned some executive orders, and, and that's all well and great, but he, you know, to do the, the, the big stuff, the, you know, not just the wall, but you know, relations with Russia. You know, you're going to need to have Tillerson in their estate. It was just a report that a lot of people from the State Department, senior management who served under Republican and Democrat administrations, have have now resigned. So that could be a bit of a hindrance. But I think Trump's Trump came in with this attitude, and I've said this before on the program, <clears throat> that he's realized the clock is ticking. The clock is ticking. Uh, until 2018. He's very nervous about losing one of the houses. And he has good reason for that. If he loses one of the houses, that is a serious blow to his agenda. That means he's going to have to compromise on bills. Which and, it is does why seem, f- and it does seem like the, the house is pretty much secure for the Republicans for a little while, unless Trump does something drastic that changes that. Uh, but the Senate, the Senate is the one that really is in danger uh, of being taken. That's uh, that's that's very that's very true. Although there are uh, a lot of Democrats up for re-election. You know, Pennsylvania, there's a senator from Pennsylvania, Indiana, uh, Montana, uh, North Dakota, all have Democratic senators up for re-election. Uh, and I would say that Trump, you know, wanted to hit the ground running and, and sign these orders. And you know, get get thing, get the ball moving. And he's done this very effectively. And also, what he's done, he's been able to screen his actions. He's used uh, Sean Spicer, his press secretary, to essentially directly attack the media with the the inauguration crowd size, with these dossiers, with these 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 claims. And he has been able to sort of occupy the media. Meanwhile, Trump very quietly and very sneakily has been able to pass these executive orders very effectively. And I think this is a tactic we're going to see used a lot, is that he's going to try and bait the media. He's going to bait them into a story, uh, have them get all revved up about it. Meanwhile, he goes the other direction, signs a deal, does this, 
I think it's a very good, a, a tremendous strategy. I also think that the Republicans in the House are working very closely with Trump. There seems to be, at least on the surface, a good partnership between Paul Ryan and Donald Trump. Uh, and I think this is very key because I believe Donald Trump has uh, given Paul Ryan the the task, as you will, of getting the Obamacare repeal done. That's essentially Paul Ryan's job. Paul Ryan has been one of the the, uh, the bill's staunchest critics, and I, and I think it's fitting for him to see the bill out. And they're going to basically starve it of money, and then it'll eventually dissipate. But again, I think Trump's also worried. Well, he's realized that he's got to have something to put it to put back in place because he can't just you know there's all millions of people who have signed up. You can't just throw them under the streets. I think that you know there was a lot of talk about this wall, and how, you know this executive order and the and the wall, and uh, people have said that the wall is bad. It's not going to stop. It's not going to stop you know uh, people from coming over. Coming well, that may be true, but. In fairness to Trump, there is a lot to say about uh, the president from Mexico because Enrique Nieto Peña has not done a very good job at curtailing the drug cartels. There are provinces. The province of uh, Michoacán was uh, was shown to have a serious drug problem, and when a group of armed sort of vigilante citizens rose up, Enrique Nieto Peña crushed them and used the basically you know supported the drug dealers in suppressing this group. And I think that, you know, it, it is a known fact that drugs, you know, uh, drug dealers will go to uh, parts of the U.S., remote Arizona desert, remote Texas desert, California, and will pick up firearms and, uh, and more, um, more importantly, ammunition and bring them back to Mexico to use in their drug wars. So I think, in a sense, the wall might at least present a physical barrier where you know Trump could slow vehicle traffic coming in and out of the um, coming in and out of the United States. Besides that, because I believe most of these deals are done not in the cities but in sort of the back streets of the of the desert. And I think Trump also has this idea that if he builds this wall, it's going to send a message to Mexico and to the drug lords that you know Trump's is going to play hardball. He's going to really, you know, he's going to make sure that there is order because. Some people would argue, and I might agree, that there is disorder on the southern border. There are border towns that are under threat from cartels that have very little support in fighting the cartels. The local police departments really aren't equipped to do this sort of thing. This is a federal, this is an ICE and FBI event, and they're not equipped to deal with that. And I think a lot of people were angry about that. But on the other hand, it also sends a message that, you know, America's anti-immigrant, you know, it... it in my mind, I don't think he should build the wall, but if you know he builds the wall and, and maybe there's some sort of a deal and there's some sort of this, you know maybe the wall goes underneath the ground and prevents tunneling somehow, maybe that's worthwhile. But I would think that Trump is going to make sure the wall gets built, and I think he has realized that this that Mr. Pena is a weak leader, He's, at least he seems to be, and that he can be intimidated, and I think Pena. Well, might in a sense to save Mexico's status as this country that can with this cheap labor that can sort of pump out these sort of these goods and and you know parts, he might have to come to a, get uh, have a come to an agreement with Trump on this wall because Trump has said he's going to put in a cross you know border tax, so that could play into 
play into this situation. Yeah, so today Trump uh, has suggested that uh, to build the wall, if Mexico is not going to pay for it, that he would potentially tax uh, imports from Mexico 20%, uh, which would, according to the White House, raise about $10 billion a year. And so... If they're able, if they're able to to sort of do that, uh, then they're gonna damage they're gonna damage the Mexican economy uh, in a way. So it sort of becomes like a trade off. Does uh, does Mexico allow Trump to tax uh, significantly the goods that are produced in their country? Um, pretty much violating NAFTA. But we know that NAFTA is going to be, uh, you know, canceled and replaced at some point. At least it seems like that is what's going to happen. Um, so do they, do they let Trump do, you know, put this tax on it? Or do they just uh, buckle down and pay for the wall? I mean, what, what's better for the country? We don't really know. The Mexican president canceled his visit uh, to the White House next week scheduled for next week and i mean i personally i don't think mexico will end up paying for this wall but i do believe that this wall will get built and the reason i believe that is because trump has been so insistent upon getting this wall built um and it was one of his campaign promises and it was really something that he seems to believe in and his supporters seem to believe in so i believe the wall will be built I think it probably will come from some sort of tax money, so I think that that 20% tax on imports is probably what's going to be, um, you know, what's going to pay for this wall. I would agree, and I think another avenue that we haven't explored is that there was chatter, but a couple of years ago, about potentially using dr- drones to attack uh to attack, um, you know, drug cartels, the, the their targets in Mexico, and this was sort of, this was this was chatter on a couple of sort of, you know, Breitbart and those sorts of sites, and I, I don't really think it's it's credible, but it is a good point, you know, will Trump uh, initiate any other uh, sort of subversive acts against Mexico, whether that be the drone strikes, whether that be something else? I think that's a, that's a good question. I'm going to wait to see what he does, but I also think that there's also one. Uh, area you know he's going to have to pay attention to and that's infrastructure and obviously he's going to wait for Ben Carson to come in and uh, and and help supervise that but i think that trump uh, needs to do something about infrastructure he needs to he needs to come out of, of the first 2 years or the first 4 years and ostensibly say to the voters listen i have tried i've made your lives better right he, his whole point is going to make your lives better make your lives richer what's it not and if he can pass some sort of an infrastructure bill, or whether it comes through the through HUD, that you know that sort of raises the caliber of infrastructure, and this is roads, railways, air, uh, airports, high-speed rail, then perhaps he could be reelected in in four years' time, or and and maybe the Republicans keep the House and, and the Senate. But moreover, the amount of time Trump has devoted to these executive orders is also, I think, a good sign that, you know, he, this is clearly a man who is 
quite pragmatic, who wants to get a deal. There was a dinner held between Paul Ryan, Chuck Schumer, and a, a few Senate leaders, I mean, so, and a few Democratic House leaders. That was supposedly quite a productive, uh, you know, dinner. So clearly this guy is a businessman. He's a, he's, he wants to get things done. He, he, he clearly is not as strident as Obama. And one of Obama's big, you know, flaws, and, you know, Republicans and some, even some moderate Democrats have pointed out that Obama was very strident when negotiating with Republicans, especially on, you know, the 2011 uh, budget crisis and uh, issues on, on health care and, and various other uh, issues. And I think that if Trump can be this sort of pragmatic deal-making guy, he might get a second term. But that's, that's to be discussed in a later podcast. Now, moving back to, I want to talk a bit about foreign policy under Trump. Um, Theresa May, uh, as we speak, is in the United States meeting with Trump. She just addressed uh, the Republicans at their retreat in Philadelphia. And I think that you know, people have sort of laughed off this Thatcher and Trump and, and, uh, and Theresa May sort of talk. But actually... There might be um, there might be some some evidence to say that might be the truth. I think as much as Theresa May might abhor Trump's stance and some of the things he's said on you know t- on torture and and Muslims and immigration, she might realize that Trump could actually be a very vital friend. He's presenting a trade deal, and Theresa May, especially with the the possibility of a hard Brexit and the you know the the to talk that, you know, a lot of banks are going to be moving jobs to Ireland and elsewhere, you know, could realize that, ah, well, if we can get a trade deal with the, with the U.S., well, that changes things. Now we have, now we can really start to, you know, to, to, to tell people that we're going to be okay on the outside. And it's been said, I, it's been said that uh, Trump is really uh, working towards a trade deal with U.K. as well, but it also uh, should be remembered that he has said that any trade deals, you know, made under his uh, presidency must favor America. Um, but he, uh, he, it's been said that they would get something done within ninety days, which is doubtful because ninety days is a short amount of time. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very short. Uh, it's too short indeed, I think. And I also think that Theresa, remember that, remember the U.S. bureaucracy, especially the trade bureaucracy, remember. Wilbur Ross has not yet been confirmed. He's not yet in his office working. And then remember on the British side, David Davis and, the, and Liam Fox are having, are, have their hands tied over Brexit. And the British civil service is not an efficient civil service. The American civil service, you can laugh at it, but it's, it's pretty efficient. It gets things done. You know, when push comes to shove, it gets things done. The British civil service is not that efficient. It's very slow. It's arduous. It's very cerebral. Everyone has to talk. There's lots of meetings and forms and inquiries and investigations and uh, and whining by you know some of the wor- some of who work there. So I think you're exactly right that 90 days is is simply impossible. But I also think that I think uh, Theresa May somewhat admires. Trump, in a, you know, and she won't say it publicly because I think Teresa respects him. That this was a man who, ostensibly, is running for the the working man, the man that was supposedly left behind. And Teresa May, you know, when she was elected, she was saying how she's going to make a Britain that works for everyone. 
She's going to be tough on immigration. She's going to make she's going to make things better. And if you look at her speech at the Conservative Party conference and some of the things Trump has said, they're almost identical. So I think the connection between the two is much closer than most people think. And I also think that Trump will be his foreign policy, I think, will be a lot will be relatively in line with that of, of Britain's. I think you'll see a lot more cooperation. And I think you'll see a much more aggressive UK and US coalition going after terrorists, being unilateral, sharing resources when it comes to drones and terrorism targets. Um, you know, I I, uh, I want to just interject because her speech, uh, which she, uh, you know, she just made just minutes ago, um, she basically said, uh, or she did say, it's in our interests to stand together to defend our values, our interests, and the very ideas in which we believe. This cannot mean a return to the failed policies of the past. The days of Britain and America intervening in sovereign countries in an attempt to remake the world in our own image are over. Um, and she's right. We can't, you know, we can't intervene. And Iraq went so badly, and Afghanistan went so badly, and everything went so badly that I think she's right in that uh, regard. She also said uh, about Putin, "My advice is to engage, but beware." Uh, and these are these are uh, quotes that the BBC obtained, and it's just really, uh, you know, she her her views I think are similar to those of Trump. And I think you're right, that they can form a pretty solid working relationship. They, the BB, or at least May, understands the value that America brings. I think the UK has finally come to realize that, you know, the days of the, of the British Empire are, are over. They're over. The economy is still good in the UK. It's still, I think, fifth or sixth largest by GDP in the world, fifth largest in the world. Um, but it's no longer the dominant force, and it hasn't been for a long time, but I think it's been hard for a lot of uh, Brits to accept that fact. And the idea of having America as an ally shouldn't be something that uh, the Brits are are afraid of because it will damage their their reputation, their pride or something. But having America as a strong ally and working closely with them, especially once, uh, you know, they leave the European Union, is going to be better for both countries in the long run, especially as China seems to be heading, you know, the new world order. I think that's right. But I also think that, you know, I think that Britain and the U.S., you know, okay, Afghanistan and Iraq were nothing short of, of national disgraces, both in the U.S. and in the United Kingdom. There was a huge scandal in the U.S., huge scandal in the United Kingdom. And that war changed something. In the old days, it was, okay, the U.K. was in, well, America, we're, we're coming with you. After Iraq, after, no, actually, after Iraq, that changed. It changed it, well, you can go in, we're going to support you, but we might not go in. So everything sort of changed after that. But I do think that the Western powers have got to do something about Syria because this civil war, although the Assad regime might win, is going to be even worse. It's going to get even worse because the rebels are going to fight even harder. And, you know, if I'm honest, 
What value does having the Assad regime in power bring to, to the West? It has no value. So maybe Trump, the, the Trump today, uh, I think, issued basically a statement or maybe uh, signed an order barring uh, Syrian refugees from entering the country for a little while. So that's a, another development related to Syria, but it has nothing to do with the actual uh, approach that Trump will take towards Assad and towards the rebels. Um, because that regime, that whole, that whole regime, that whole situation in Syria is just so bad, and there doesn't seem to be any side in it that really uh, the U.S. wants to support. doesn't seem to be anyone. Uh, fighting in that civil war. Certainly not Russia, certainly not the Assad regime. The rebels are the closest thing, you know, the the U.S. has to support. But what can't happen is that either... There, there are a couple things that can't happen. One thing that we could do and we shouldn't do is go in, you know, remove Assad, and then just leave, because then ISIS will take over, right? So that that can't happen. Another thing that can't happen is we can't let um, we can't let Russia single-handedly decide what happens, which is Russian troops, you know, are sent to help Assad. Assad maintains control. That's also not a good situation. So I don't know what the, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what the solution is, and uh, and I don't know if Tillerson will know what the solution is either. I think dealing with Russia, Tillerson is good, but I don't know about dealing with Syria. Yeah, no, in, indeed, indeed. You know who would take over from Assad? Because clearly, you know, he's not the solution. But you know what? Demo- you're going to try and hold democratically ele- elections in, in, during the middle of a civil war and a massive Islamist insurgency? I don't think. I don't think so. So, and that's a very good point. Now we've. I think we now we come to the conclusion. We've talked, you know, for a good while here about Trump and his policyism and what's gonna what's gonna happen. And I would say this. I'm gonna say as my end note, Jay will have his end note as well, that the news media, myself, and I think Jake, I am quite sometimes I just don't know what Trump is going to do. I generally don't know. And I think it's his strategy, and I think it's going to work brilliantly because he's going to keep the media off guard. He's going to keep foreign uh, um, adversaries off guard, unlike Obama, who every five minutes would get up to a stand and would basically tell everyone what he's doing. You know, And I think Trump might perhaps actually function as a president. I Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the, the, my biggest thing that I've noticed over the last four days is that before anything else, before anything else, Trump decided to do the things that he was promising in his campaign. And I don't know if that is... uh, I don't know if if that's a good thing, especially if you're a Democrat, um, because you're probably not in favor of those things. But what it shows is that he is seemingly... Uh, a man of his word in the way that he um, in the way that he seems to be just be keeping his campaign promises and I, I he's just getting he's getting things done 
I don't think that the executive order is the way to do things in the future. Uh, I think, you know, because he has Republican support in Congress, um, he'll he'll be able to pass, you know, get legislation passed. Uh, But for now, the executive orders that he is passing, uh, especially, you know, with his drain the swamp proposal and, and trying, you know, he froze federal wage structures and wage raises and uh, th- those are all things that he promised to do during his campaign. So maybe it's a good sign that he'll be able to get things done. He'd be able to, you know, get deals done. The man wrote a book called The Art of the Deal. And I don't know if that was uh, disregarded during the campaign cycle or whether people just thought that, you know, being adept in business uh, would not transfer politically. But I think having a good background in making deals, something he's done all his life, uh, will seriously help him uh, as he negotiates with other countries and as he negotiates with other people within our own country. So that'll be it for today's podcast. Thank you for listening.